I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. Today, activist, advocate, blogger, hero, Monica Roberts joins us from Houston, Texas. Carly, why don't you check in and tell me what's in the news? Well, at the top of the news, we both have busy tea doors, didn't we, Dawn? I was in Hartford. Where were you? I was in New Haven. It's been a busy week. Wednesday night, there was the uh, there was Transbody 2 at the Eli Performing Center. For the second consecutive time, we did such a performance with a special kudos and shout out to Elm City Dance Collective and New Haven Pride Center. We did our exploration of trans lives through modern dance. I was in it along with two castmates. It was another excellent performance. We had a full house for it. We had about 75 people show up. I mean, it was a beautiful performance. I'm still processing it. On the New Haven Green, we had our candlelight vigil and march. And then afterwards, get together and resource swap at the New Haven Pride Center. So it was a busy trans day of remembrance and resistance for me. Here in Hartford, we had a very first time ever. The trans pride flag was flown from Hartford City Hall. We had a candlelight vigil outside uh, Hartford City Hall later in the evening. And then I joined my friends at the MCC, Metropolitan Community Church of Hartford. It's a church that was founded for the LGBT community 46 years ago this year. And we had a beautiful, uplifting service. I was invited to deliver the interfaith prayer. And we lit candles. We sang songs. And it was so positive, and I was really excited to be there. It was actually, the, believe it or not, the first time I've attended the service alone. Usually my children or my friend Katie, a lot of other people have joined me along the times. This year, I was alone, but I wasn't really alone because I had all my sisters and brothers with us. And I'm so glad to be part of our community here in Hartford. You know, the other thing that's happening in the news that's really disturbing, I don't know if you've seen, but there was a poll that was put out by a group called Rasmussen. Rasmussen often does very Republican-leaning polls. And the poll said that most Americans are against transgender inclusion in sports. Yawn. Same stuff all the time. I mean, but this is not the first time for Rasmussen. Over the last three years, Rasmussen has done maybe 15 polls. Three years ago was a poll on the number of Americans that knew someone trans. They said 85% didn't. That And then later that was proven to be inaccurate. And they said the 66% back Trump's transgender ban on troops. We've down through just word of mouth, that's not true. That's not true. And this new poll on transgender athlete inclusion, they can try and sell this. And of course, Rasmussen's going to try and sell it. And one thing you have to understand about Rasmussen, I know about this because I've covered some stories on their polling methodology. They will slant the question to make it go a certain way. They will also target certain areas to be the group for the poll. So chances are pretty good. For example, they're probably not calling Hartford County, Connecticut, but they're probably calling Pulaski County, Tennessee, or Dallas County, Texas, or Sarpy County, Nebraska. They are going to call very red districts, very red areas to try to mine the opinion that they want. This is common polling tactic. It is concerning, yes, but take it also for what it is and who it is and why it is. Like I often tell people when it comes to trans sports, there's an agenda. And that's actually an opinion piece I'm working on for outsports, by the way. So I'm going to let that little cat out of the bag to let people who may not know understand this is the methodology that the right wing's going to use to try and sell you this. Because again, it's not about a playing field or a locker room or a bathroom. It's about things much 
bigger than that. And that's what they're trying to sell. And this is an attempt to be low-hanging fruit. And it's just another part of it. Well, I want to hear the part that has coordinates in Houston, Texas. Let's beam up Monica Roberts. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Hey, what's up? Just one correction from your last segment. Uh, Dallas County has been blue since 2006. I think the county you may have been thinking about was Tarrant County, which is just to the west, uh, which is Fort Worth. And even in the last election cycle, Tarrant County went blue for the first time since the 70s. So uh, we're actually well, trending nobody purple. Nobody Texas better than Monica Roberts, so let's go to the mm-hmm. authorities. Monica knows from Texas. Unfortunately, I got some – I have relatives in Tarrant County now, so. Yeah, bless, <laughs> them, bless you. I've got a lot of relatives in, like, west of Dallas. i got a lot of relatives in, in all that Staubach overbuilt area north of Dallas. Mm-hmm. Like around mm-hmm. Frisco, McKinney, up towards Denton. Oh, all the yeah, all the I say all those suburbs that are trending purple now, uh, mm-hmm. and that that Trump has basically accelerated Texas, basically going blue for ten years now. The number of non-white Texans outnumbers white Texans, which is wow, really bad for the Republican uh, business model, which is why they're desperate uh, to uh, keep control of the Texas legislature. Mm-hmm. And we're only nine seats from flipping the Texas House. Wow. Yeah, they lost 12 seats in the 2018 midterm. They lost 12 House seats. Wow. And in addition, we flipped the entire judiciary in Harris County up to the state court of appeals level. The same was true in Bear County. They flipped 22 judicial benches. They just in Fort Bend County to the southwest of me, which was for the longest time in the 90s, Tom DeLay's political base. They flipped seven benches there. Wow. You know, I've had the great pleasure of talking to Monica both in person and on the phone. And we've talked about all kinds of activism and advocacy, but we've never Mm -hmm. talked sports. And Carly has been chomping at the bit to talk to you about football. So I'm going to step oh. back and let the two women of color. No, I've been I've been skin. chomping at the bit to talk to Monica Roberts for years. Mm-hmm. I'll say that right up front. Here's your chance. I, in, fa- in fact, I, in fact, I often call her Auntie General Monica Roberts because that's what she is. She is a field commanding general of the fight for trans liberation in this country and, and in many ways around the world. Forgive me for doing some fangirling right now, but that's what I'm going to do. But hey, I, just want, I was in that position <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but right up front, you got to talk about before we go any anywhere in football, we got to talk about the the recent unpleasantness down in Texas right now, where you have people like Ted Cruz and John Cornyn and Ooh, the yeah. governor of Texas right now picking on a little seven year old girl. Monica, from heels on the ground, what is the latest on that right now? What's word on straight? Well, the word is right now is that uh, appeal has been filed in that case to restore sole custody of uh, the trans child to the mother. So we'll see how that case that case goes. And one of the courts of appeal that we flipped was in Dallas County. So. Well, yeah, Texas elects, Texas has partisan election of judges. So 
Now the Republicans are whining about the fact that oh, it's not fair that you know, we have to elect judges. Uh, uh, the, the governor needs to be appointing them. No, the government does not. Uh, we like the ability of putting our as a folks on the bench just fine. Uh, you didn't have a problem with that in 2010 and 2014 when there was Republican judges going on those benches. Now you got a problem because not only is it Democrats going on these benches, but diverse Democrats. You might have heard about the 18 black women that we elected down here in Harris County. Uh, yes. We also elected LGBT judges. Uh, also sitting on our bench in Harris County is the first Muslim female judge in Rabia Kalia. So, yeah, we have, you know, we've, it's not as an end. In Harris County, we flipped the county commissioner's court for the first time in 11 years, and we have a Latina running the third largest county in the country, in Lena Hidalgo. And so, of course, yeah, with, with the flipping, more po uh, let's say progressive policy has been coming out of that. Because uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Harris County Commissioner's Court last week, in advance of TDOR, uh, passed a resolution on party lines that, um, that recognized that the uh, TDOR. Uh, and the two Republican uh, commissioners refused to sign it. One of those is my commissioner, and he's up for re-election next year. So... I once, and, and Steve Raddick got in that seat when I was a college student at U of H in the 80s. <laughs> so he got to go. <laughs> Monica, give me the lay of the land. I remember when Houston passed its ordinance to protect human rights and then it got overturned. Yeah. Is, is Houston an island of progressiveness or is there really uh, a, a bigger, diverse Texas that I know of? It just seems that Texas has a really bad reputation nationally. Um. Texas is like any other red state. We have islands of progressive, I say, uh, islands and areas of progressive uh, movement. The Rio Grande Valley is, because it's heavily Latino, that is stretching all the way from the Gulf Coast all the way back to El Paso. That's blue. Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston. Those are all progressive cities. Um, anywhere with a college, pretty much. Um, outside of Texas A&M and, uh, and, uh, and uh, College Station, that kind of belies that. But with, you know, most places that have colleges, they are progressive. So, and you know, as I pointed out, the uh, you know the polit the uh, the um, you know say the population demographics have shifted since 2009. The only thing that is keep, the only reason that the Republicans have kept control is because they gerrymandered the hell out of the state back in 2011. And they put in that voter suppression law. So we got a shot at fixing that next year. And John Cornyn's up for reelection next year. So we want him gone. What's the early line on the possible challenger? For corner, what's uh, the early got, line on a possible challenger? We've got four Democrats running in the primary. Uh, one of them is M.J. Hager, who who narrowly 
uh, lost a challenge in one of the districts in the Austin area. Um, uh, Senator Royce West from Dallas is in this one. So, but for the most part, nobody's really focused. I think they're just now getting to the point where, well, because, you know, we still have a, a municipal election here in Houston that we are dealing with. So we're not really going to uh, say focusing on the statewide stuff until after we get through this runoff in, uh, de on December 14th. And have you ever thought about running yourself, Monica, running for office? Harris County Party has been asking me since 2014. <laughs> so I'm thinking about it. That but what I would, best. yeah. But what I would like to do is actually go through some victory fund training uh, before I do that. Because, you know, if I jump into this, I am not going into this just to, oh, she tried. No, I want, you know, if I'm going in, it's because I have a shot at winning it. You know, so you want to go whenever I do. Candidate, you want to be mm -hmm. a victor. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, because we've had we've had a couple of trans folks that have run for office. Uh, you know, Frankie um, Gonzalez Wolf ran for San Antonio City Council seat, and she did quite. You know, she got. She got about 7,000 votes, but that was on, you know, about 12% of the vote, but it wasn't enough in that district. Uh, you know, Finn Jones uh, ran for a state house seat. And unfortunately, he was running against one of the, one of our major enemies in Tony Tenderholt, uh, and uh, he didn't get enough support, really, from... Uh, you know, from our LGBT, you know, say from our LGB brothers and sisters. So uh, to uh, take, you know, to take, you know, take them out. And we've also had, you know, Jennifer Renee Poole run for city council and against the aforementioned Steve Raddick. And the first time she ran for council, she narrowly missed a runoff. Uh, and then, you know, and then she, uh, when she ran for Harris County, uh, I say, I say precinct, precinct two, uh, she um, won in the Democratic primary, but got blown out. The demographics have changed radically since that race four years ago. And so Raddick, I say, is probably. Uh, vulnerable. He's vulnerable. Texas is undeniably purple, trending blue. And With that in mind, mm -hmm. could a Democratic presidential candidate win those electoral votes next year? Depends on which who, who comes out of the primary. Uh, there was a poll that was done a couple of months ago that basically showed that um, there are four people right now that could probably win in Texas. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is one of them. Um, Joe Biden was another one. Um, Joe Biden, I'm trying to think who the other two were. Uh, Judge has much but of this a was a couple of months ago. Go. Yeah, so yeah, so they actually had a shot at winning. Because in 2016, Hillary Clinton only lost Texas by nine points, nine percentage points. That was that was the closest that a Democrat had come 
percentage-wise in decades. So, yeah, and so they're really nervous because basically uh, Texas acts as the as the base the base electoral votes for a Republican candidate. If we force them to have to spend money to hold Texas, that's money that they can't spend elsewhere in the country. They know it. We know it. <clears throat> I got to ask you, what is with Dan Patrick? Why does he have such an obsession with trans people? Uh, because he's from Connecticut originally. He's originally from Connecticut. Um, and he's basically, after he left his TV career as a sportscaster, uh, he started dabbling well, I mean, in politics. I don't mean Dan politics. Patrick, sportscaster. I meant no, Dan. no, Dan Patrick, my governor. Dan Patrick, yeah, my, go- he's, my he's lieutenant governor. governor. Actually, he actually was a sportscaster. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Because there yeah, is Dan actually Patrick, was a sportscaster. Sportscaster, yeah. who I know as a person. I actually know yeah. Dan Patrick, sportscaster, well. Yeah. He actually was a sportscaster on, I'll say, KHOU TV here before he moved to conservative radio, parlayed his conservative radio into a state Senate seat, and then parlayed that into a gov- into the lieutenant governor's chair. And no, he ain't, that's a potty Dan, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan, never have been. I want him gone. <laughs> but we got to wait till 2022 now. So, you know, so he is not well liked by any of us. I'm just okay why he's so obsessed with us. He seems to, seems to take personal pleasure in uh, you know, making us the boogeyman. Well, the bottom line is since 2015, the entire Republican Party has made it their mission to oppress and repress the trans community. Um, and the, t- even the Texas Republican Party even has planks in their party platform that mandate trans oppression, you know, which is why they tried to pass SB6 and failed twice <laughs> in the regular and special sessions in 2017. And I gleefully had a part in that. <laughs> making that happen. Um, so, but they, you know, but they realized that their days are numbered and they're just trying to grasp at any kind of straw to ensure, you know, to keep their power because, you know, once they once, once they lose their grip on Texas, they're done. And if we can flip Texas to blue or you know purple status, or p- permanently flip it blue, the Republicans will not have any way of electing a Republican in the presidency because they can't make up the 38 electoral votes that Texas provides in any other combination of states. Now that would be a wonderful thing to deny them those 38 votes. What's your mm-hmm. take on the infighting? I mean, sometimes, you know, our, our battle is not just with the TERFs, not just with the Dan Patrickson Republican white men, but among ourselves, like the Ashley Marie Prestons of the world and, and Caitlyn Jenner's. What's your take on how do we resolve those issues where we, we don't, we're not able to get along 
just among the trans women and men? Well, a lot of that is because we are all passionate about, we, are, we all agree on one thing, that trans rights are undeniably human rights. Uh, and the United States needed to move yesterday in codifying our civil rights coverage. The problem you know, that we have is how do we get there? And what do we do to get there? And the other thing that we're dealing with is that the trans community is a microcosm of our parent society. We have all the ills and isms if, uh, in our little subset of humanity that the parent society does. We have sexism, we have racism, we have misogyny, misogynoir in that. And it's something that we have to realize, you know, because, you know, that, that cropped up in the blow up with NCTE. NCTE has long had a, a problem with racism in their ranks. It didn't just start yesterday. It started at their founding, but it's now just coming out. Yeah, you've been you've been talking about it for years, but you know the vast majority of mm-hmm. unfortunately white people mm-hmm. had no clue about the racist, the misogynist, the terrible problems they've been having that you've been calling on them out for years. Yeah, and it's a large part why you know organizations like BTAC it, uh, found, were founded. You know, Trans Persons of Color Coalition. Uh, organization Latina de Trans in Texas, uh, the Trans Latina Coalition, because of the racism that was in uh, NCT embedded in NCTE, you know, we just felt like we couldn't work, and in some cases, it was impossible to work with Mar. Um, you know, and it's our, a lot our, of reasons why I barely pushed. You know, and it's a lot of the reason why I barely posted anything about NCT on my blog. Uh, the, the, the exception I made for that was when the 2015 U.S. Trans Survey came out. And I saw it. the importance. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and the, the good news is, you know, and then I was told by some of the folks, if I hadn't done that, we wouldn't have gotten enough um, statistically significant num- we had a, a statistically significant number of black trans folks that participated in so that we could get solid, you know, so that we could get solid numbers that we can use. And across several states, Texas being one of them. We had just enough participation to, you know, be able to pull some significant statistics out of that, which I whacked, you know, which I whacked the Republicans upside the head with. <laughs> But also, you know, in black trans world, you know, we have the issue of we're always, especially black trans women, we are always put in the position where we're competing against each other, where whether it is competing for pageant trophies, whether it is competing for tens on a ballroom floor, you know, or, or even you know, for our sisters who are in the, you know, say who are, who are doing sex work, they're competing for customers. 
So we are always put in that position where we're kind of always competing against each other. And it has been, you know, hard at times for us to build sisterhood. (laughs) Uh, The emergency that we're dealing with in terms of we're literally being eviscerated (laughs) has kind of forced us to kind of work together. To, you know, to end all the violence being uh, aimed at us. And it's it's something as a and also, you know, the fact that we do have, you know, black trans kids who are growing up that I want to see live to be my age and do amazing things. And I want all those sisters that we have lost to know what it's like to hit a 40th or 50th birthday or 60th birthday or be Miss Major's age. Gee, I'm trying to make it to that age. want to switch gears to get on the sports train here for a minute on all this quote-unquote controversy about trans inclusion in sports. Like, for example, you have well-financed professional transphobes in Washington, D.C. writing a complaint and misgendering two high school kids all over the place. What's your thoughts yeah. on all this heat that you're seeing right now? They're using the same talking points that they use to try to justify uh, segregation of African-American athletes back in the day. They're using the same talking points. Substitute black for tra- trans for black. Can you say that they one more time for all the, the black folks in the back? <laughs> yeah. Once again, they're using the same talking points to oppress trans athletes that they did when they were aiming Jim Crow segregation. The bottom line, and and then also a special message for the turfs, can't stand y'all either. Uh, (laughs) Because bottom line, you turf, your attempts to oppress and repress the uh, trans community will fail. I don't care if you did go get friends at the Heritage uh, Society or the Republican Party. They're not long to hold power in this country anyway. So you made a bad bet. (laughs) One of the things Carl and I are always harping on is, you know, a lot of the arguments are directed directly Mm -hmm. at kids. And and you know what? I I, I protect my kids like any mama bear. I don't want nobody talking Mm -hmm. bad about my kids. And when, when people start attacking children for being cheaters and for um, not being who they are and you know, disallowing them yeah. to live their dream, I get personally yeah. very upset about that. I, I wonder what you have to think, think about that, Monica. Yeah, because uh, you remember a couple of years ago when Matt Beggs, uh, tra- uh, say a transmasculine wrestler, wasn't allowed to wrestle against boys. So he was yes, basically put in a no-win. He was put, yeah, he was put in a no-win position of either quitting or being forced to wrestle against girls. And here's the kicker: you know, Mac basically took a very low dose of testosterone, and you know, and they still tripped. This, you know, that was the first of the UIL. Yeah. Yeah, and he won back-to-back uh, Class 6A championships, but uh, you know, and went undefeated in both of those seasons. But he would have rather been wrestling against the boys. 
Like that he was political. Like yeah. Yeah. It was a political decision by Dan Patrick at UIL. Yeah, and it backfired on Yeah. It backfired big time. Did you ever play sports, yeah. Monica? Are you a sports uh, athlete? Um, I played tennis in high school. Uh, my dad used to do play by play for Texas Southern and uh, for HISD games. So I got to watch a lot of football from press, you know, from the press boxes at the dome and at various stadiums, you know, high school stadiums around the area. So I got to see, you know, uh, I got to see a couple of Hall of Famers play like Mike Singletary and Daryl Green. Daryl Green went to the same high school I did. And Mike and uh, Dexter Manley. I got to see a lot of those uh, Hall of Famers. I remember watching Thurman Thomas play. And that's our means. We have to take a little break here at the Transporter Room. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Monica's other passion, football. And why are those Texans struggling this year? And we're back with the Transporter Room, and Monica Roberts is our guest. Like any Texan, I love me some football. <laughs> yeah, still do. Um, you, you probably noticed while every week I, you know, I say I, I do a NFL predictions for that particular week's games, uh, and have for several years now. Yeah, right. Yeah, right so, now, you got you have ninety nine wins going into. You and Mike are having a fight over this season right now. You're yeah, at ninety nine, yeah. and Mike's at ninety eight. Yeah, it's it's always yes. It's been the last couple of years. It's been close. You know, it's been less than a game. You know, say in some cases, it's going down to the last week. It's going down to the last week, and he cut into a four game lead that I built. So, <laughs> and they got a game against the New England Patriots next week. Now, one thing, a lot more was expected from the Texans than six and four, than, than going into yeah. this week. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're still strapped. I mean, still in the fight in the division. I mean, thankfully, yeah. a lot of the AFC is kind of really close together. My Steelers are, my Steelers are still hanging on the fringes of the wild card hunt. In your mind, yeah. what's been going on with the Texans this year? Uh, a combination of things. Um, you know, they had injuries, uh, I don't know why they traded Jadavion Clowney. And then, you know, considering J.J. Watt the last couple of seasons had had injury problems and then he would lose him for the season, you know, during the Oakland game. And they rebuilt the offensive line on the fly. So they're still trying to learn, you know, they're still trying to play, you know, they're still trying to learn how to play and, uh, and uh, say, and obey the prime directive of keeping Deshaun Watson upright. Yeah, I noticed that's been kind of an issue with the. That's been kind of an issue. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing with Deshaun please, that he, please, you know, yeah. The thing with Deshaun is Deshaun likes to you know hold onto the ball and try to get you know try to make a uh, try to extend the play and make a play. 
and sometimes he waits too long. Uh, he's getting better at it, but uh, you know, say, but it's just they came out flat, and that you know that pass interference call last week didn't help against Baltimore. Yeah, that obvious pass interference call didn't help. Yeah, I uh, saw. You they, know, look at the replays. I'm like, but that shows again. Pass interference is always a pass interference has become the biggest crapshoot call in the NFL right now. Yeah, it has. And, and I said, and then we've had, and then we had in the earlier game against Indianapolis a touchdown taken away from us because I'll say the ref in that game whistled Deshaun Watson in the grass just as he was throwing a touchdown pass to Baron Fells. That that forced them to kick a field goal. We lost that game because of that call. I'm a Jaguar fan. You, you guys kick our ass regularly. Um, my son's mm. a Patriots fan. He's that. He's that. Uh, mm. He's a Patriots man through and through. Tom Brady uh, mm. is like his DNA. What can I tell you? Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm a Jaguars fan, so I'm just used to losing on football. I'm a Mets fan, used to losing in baseball. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, what, what, I am all yeah. Houston. I am all Houston all the time. So yeah. You mean to tell me if, so, if I happen to fire up Love Your Blue right now, you get a tear in your eye? Is that what you're telling me? When I going, in, is, it, is it that deep? Let's, yeah, it's that deep. Because matter of fact, when I used to live in Louisville, when I would I'd have to drive past Nissan Stadium on my way to Atlanta, I'd flip at the finger. <laughs> yeah, it was that deep. <laughs> it was that deep. <laughs> it was that deep. Yeah. I still call the Tennessee. I call them the Tennessee traitors. Let me shift gears a little bit. As we call mm-hmm. this thing the transporter room, what's your particular mm-hmm. uh, poison? What kind of uh, sci-fi are you a fan of? I love Battlestar Galactica and also Star Trek. So say we all. <laughs> so yeah, say we all. Definitely. I especially love the reboot. They. I love the reboot. I still binge. I actually. It. I actually. You know, when when the miniseries first came out, because I loved the original, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. watching that. Blah, 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 blah. And then I actually sat down and watched it, and I went, okay. <laughs> it's different. I said, I say, Commander Adam is Latino. Okay. <laughs> they have a female president. Okay. Boomer yeah. is Asian. Okay. And say, Starbucks is a woman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And and the storylines kind of mimic what was going on in the wake of nine in the wake of nine eleven. The way Star Trek did in the sixties. Yeah, I really like that about Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, so I really yeah. So the writing in Battlestar Galactica really appealed to me as a writer Um, because you know I like scripted TV series, you know, dramatic series, and. You know, Battlestar Galactica basically delivered the goods and then some. Monica, before we started, you said you got an award, another award. Uh yeah, I just I was <laughs> you know, I was on the phone with the task force, so I'll be probably picking something up uh, during the uh, event in Dallas. So stay tuned. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Monica. I'm so glad to be someone who's got to meet you in person to talk to you on this podcast. And I just want to let Carly say goodbye now. This has been a high honor. I've read your blog for years. A lot of your wisdom that's come through that blog and a lot of your intensity and your energy has helped 
inspire me through my own process of finding my own truth. So, no, I just want to say, Auntie General, thank you. And one thing I want to know is, what's next for the blog? What's coming? What's coming up? What are some of the projects you're working on? And also, after you get done answering, there's there's some there's a special ask I have for you because there's a little project to myself that hey, I want you to help me out with because. There's a certain project I got, but first, what's going on with the blog right now? What's coming down the pipe? Um, really, just counting down to another anniversary on uh, New Year's Day. Uh, that's when I started the blog. Um, the on New Year's Eve, my annual Shut Up Fool of the Year will be announced. So we've got a lot of contenders for that. Candace Owens. Uh, Ben Carson, <laughs> Diamond and Silk, uh, Devin Nunez. So I have to nar- I'll narrow it down usually by about Christmas Eve and then kind of make the final decision. Yeah, because actually I could have made Donald Trump the shut up fool of the year, but he won back to back awards a couple of years ago and it's too easy. <laughs> wouldn't he retire yeah. wouldn't he retire the award, especially what while I'm hearing about these impeachment hearings? Wouldn't he re- wouldn't mm-hmm. he kind of retire the award at this point? It's uh I actually had tried to start another feature while I was tracking all the um all the you know the conservatives who have basically engaged in behaviors predatory behaviors that they that accuse this community of and after doing it for a couple of weeks i got so overwhelmed (laughs) that i had to kind of back off of it for a while yeah i called it the uh, perv watch i called it transgreal perv watch so i might start it back up You know, where I kept, you know, Republican politicians who got caught in, you know, and child, you know, and child sex things or, or like the one that I talked about, the guy that broke into a sorority house in Oklahoma, in uh, Oklahoma, and they found him lounging in one of the girl's panties and sniffing the other girl. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? A cisgender guy. A cisgender pervert. Yeah. Not a trans person. Yeah. That's what always happens, yeah. you know. No. Or, or, or the, or the or, yeah, or the or other the, one that where the uh, where the deacon of a church of a mega church up in Toledo was caught in the women's restroom. So, wow! Yeah, you know, all the stuff I that they, they need to, us I think of. they need to keep cis people out the bathrooms, honestly. Yeah, but well, no. at least cis Republicans. <laughs> but no, the but no. Two thing things. The law already says that you know. Perverts aren't allowed in ladies' bathrooms and stuff. They don't need laws oh, to keep yeah. trans people out. It's ridiculous. But yeah. Monica, I need your help on two things. One, we have a lot of work to do among our cisgender black family. We got a lot of work to do. I'm with you. Are you with me? Oh, I've been on that project for a while. I um, know you've been on that project. So, oh, One of the people that you be helping is my mama. <laughs> yes. Well, and then on top of that, you know, um, I'm actually in conjunction with one of my uh, sisters, uh, Candace Weber, uh, in um, Black Lives Matter. We're talking about doing a series of sister-sister conversations where we talk about the issues that bug each group about the other one and then work it out. <laughs> uh, and, well, I've had a, and I've had similar conversations at the BTAC conference uh, with the uh, 
just say, you know, with Christina, uh, with Christina Martin uh, during BTAC, where we've had that conversation the last two uh, BTACs, uh, where we talked about that. So just breaking down that, that you know, say just building, you know, giving us an opportunity to kind of build that sisterhood up, uh, because I am not liking the the attempts of turfs to expand their territory into black you know into black women's circles that that's right i mean especially after that after the recent for me what tore for me was that recent flap with angelica ross and and black girls rock mm-hmm. that that tore it for me when people just was showing so many i'm gonna say it people were just showing they ass about this yeah they were and they were and it uh, was, and it was like, I was like, wait, even, even I had relatives even showing their ass. I was oh, like, yeah, listening no. to what y'all saying. Well, Angelica, no, Ross is, Angelica Ross can handle herself. She is one tough lady. I can tell yeah, you. But, 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 but even in this case, Angelica kind of backed off the social media for a while because of the backlash mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks. Um, because it was so vicious and nasty. And yeah. also... I had to I had to come at uh, Stacey Patterson, who was basic, and Shamanda Adiche, who were you know who were basically pushing turf like language uh, last year, and it's had to call them kind of there anyway. Yeah, she's always been sort of there. You know, so Man, yeah, that's so, something you don't want. I don't. No, because I do not want turfism. Uh, getting any kind of foothold in black women's circles. Uh, we, it's a, because, you know, for the most part, we know that the turfs are predominantly white. They are predominantly, you know, say, Republican-leaning. And, you know, matter of fact, uh, when we had one of the hearings in the Senate for SB6, they called a turf in for as an expert witness. I wonder where did they find the turf, Britain or Canada? <laughs> uh, that was oh. it wasn't it wasn't in state. <laughs> I, I they imported state, it. But I bet you USA. If there's one thing before before we could we shove out of here, if there's if there's one thing you can say, especially to an audience that could be listening to this podcast, who is who is among the folk like me, who are, is mm-hmm. among the folk and who is dealing with all this, dealing with all that drama and all this mm-hmm. and, and, all, and all this constant competition. Because I'm with you on that. How, what is the one thing you can tell them and, and also tell me while you're at it to kind of bring us together? What's the one thing we need to do to start building that unity within ourselves so that we can go out there wow. and fight the fights that need fighting? Um... As Janet said to me and a, a lot of other people, uh, there is room for all of us to shine in terms of, and there's plenty of work for us to do, you know, in this trans movement that needs to be done. You know, whether we're living, you know, in the Northeast or down here in Texas on the West Coast or in the Midwest, uh, we have plenty of work that we, you know, that must be done um, in order for us as a community to survive and thrive. Yeah, 
We're a family. Yeah. And of course, we're going to have arguments and all that. But, you know, we shouldn't let those arguments deter us but when we need to focus on the common enemy, do that. And we know who our common enemy is. It's not each other. It's the Republicans. It's the Turfs. It's the Southern Baptist Convention. It is the, you know, say, the Roman Catholic uh, conservative priest. Those are our enemies. Those are who the folks we need to be focused on. I got to tell you, Monica, both Carly and I are in tears. It's the kind of stuff where I, I don't have words to say how strongly we admire both your leadership and your um, ability to put into words what we all feel. Thank you, Monica. Yeah. Yes. Well, Thank thanks, you, Auntie Marty General. And- well, and go Texans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor Jaguars. So, Monica, just oh, to love you, Blue. Know, you can find you at transgrio.transgrio.blogspot.com. Uh, there you go. Thank you, Monica. We're setting coordinates back for Houston, Texas, and we'll talk to you on the internet. Yes, thank you, Monica. You keep doing what you're doing down there. Well, I say, man, I may be coming to an area near you, so every now and then, every now and then I get some college. If you come up here, if you come up here, I'm going to drive by you and blast Love You Blue by Mac Haynes right (laughs) as I'm driving past. What are you talking about? You're yeah. going to pick it up at the airport and you're going to play it in the car. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> All right. All right. right. Later, people. <laughs> well, that was just lovely. I'm so glad we got to have Monica Roberts as our uh, podcast guest. Oh. I am I am so... Right now, I'm just blown away. This, yeah. this entire week has blown me away. Tuesday was Trans Bodies 2 with the M City Dance Collective. Beautiful. Um, just a look at this journey and this life through the vehicle of modern contemporary dance. Wednesday was our vigil for uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance on the New Haven Green. We had a march afterwards. And then down to down for a research swap at New Haven Pride Center. And Friday, I spoke to a class at Southern Connecticut State along with a couple of good friends of mine just talking about the, the current issues and the state of transgender people in this country. So... It's been a busy week, and this right here takes the cake. Now, the opportunity to talk to one of the five-star generals of our liberation movement here in this country, and Monica Roberts. Definitely an icon, and I'm glad to say that I've, uh, I've been able to talk with her in person a couple of times. She's an imposing figure. You know, she's a very tall, young woman, and I'm, I'm just so impressed at uh, how she carries herself because she doesn't use that uh, size to imp- to um, intimidate, if anything, you feel like you just want to envelop yourself in a hug from this wonderful, giving woman who makes her life, her life work about standing up, you know, for others. Um, if she only did it for herself, I wouldn't blame her, but she doesn't. She does it for everybody. Yeah, that's enough for Transporter Room for this week. I'm so glad to talk to you again, Carly. We'll be back next week with a special edition of the Transporter Room. We're going to look back at our last six episodes. Well, I can tell you, it's something to give thanks for, and I give and I give a lot of thanks for what we've been able to do on this podcast. And can you believe it's been six episodes in already? Much six. More to come. Much more to come. Oh yes. Uh, steady as she goes, Mister Sulu. 
<laughs> Take us to warp factor five. Steady as you guys.